Welcome, and you're watching On Point. I'm your host, Richard Sanvenero, and with us today is Don Barbie. He's currently Hernando County's Clerk of the Court. Welcome, Don. Welcome, Richie. Thank you very much. We have to call you Richard now, since we're on TV. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> well, Don, thank you for coming. I'm happy to be here. Tell the folks, everybody says, oh my God, it's the Clerk of the Court. Tell us about who Don Bobby is and what, what is your basic day in the court? What is it like? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a big question. Okay. So let's start with my background, I guess. Yes. So people ask me, well, how do you become clerk? And the answer is I have no idea because it kind of just happened. Uh, I started my career as a police officer and had a, a great time doing that for many years and moved down here to Florida. And the reason I came down, my dad had a heart attack back in 1997 and uh, we decided we wanted to be closer to family. So I finished up my law degree down here at University of Florida. I started law school, take a step back. I started law school because I was going to be the police chief in Connecticut. In my mind, I was at least. I don't think anybody else believed that, but I believed that. Well, that's good. So I started law school up there, finished up down here at UF, so go Gators. Um, and I went into private practice down in Tampa, and I worked for a, kind of a big firm. We did labor and employment stuff, mostly management side. And then I realized I really didn't like it. Um, came from nine plus years as a cop where it was all about camaraderie and brotherhood and all those things and in private practice of law no offense to the lawyers out there it's much more about stepping on each other and making who gets to be partner first and billable hours and those kinds of things so um, decided I didn't like it and I was sitting around a table one day similar to this it was a breakfast at a I think it was a Howard Johnson's in Tampa and I was commiserating about my life being a lawyer <laughs> I was actually whining I think would be a better explanation and uh, this guy standing next to me said you need to come back to law enforcement. He handed me his card, and he turned out to be the chief division counsel for the FBI. So I went through the application process. I got appointed as a special agent in 2000, and I went to Quantico, which was, other than being away from my wife and daughter, was probably the best six months of my life. Uh, I graduated top of my class at Quantico and went off and became an FBI agent. Did that for a few years, and then 9-11 happened. Yes and 9-11 changed a lot of people's lives and including mine and it made me kind of focus and, and look at priorities again so um, we decided you know what I got two girls to raise and my wife when 9-11 occurred we had just bought a house outside of Boston and my second daughter was born in March so my wife was at home in a house that needed a ton of work with an infant and a toddler and a husband who was gone so it was a real difficult time for my family, and after about a year of getting through that, we decided, you know what, we need to regroup and, and focus again. And so we moved back to Florida. Absolutely. And I got hired down here by Brad King, who's been your state attorney since 1988. He was the youngest state attorney ever elected. And when I finished the interview with Brad, it just felt right. I'm sure you've been on, you've had those kind of interviews before where you just knew it was the right place to be. I hope this is going to be one of them. I, it, I hope oh, so too. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the interview, I asked Brad, I said, so where do you see me in five years? I kind of turned the table a little bit because you're the employer asked that. And he said, you'll be running my Brooksville office. And four years and nine months later, I was the chief prosecutor here in Hernando County. And I loved that job, and I got to work really closely with the sheriff's office and FHP. We built a lot of great cases together. And then one day, um, kind of some, got introduced to Florida politics. I was asked by a bunch of my former students, because throughout that time, I was teaching at the police academy up in Citrus County. And Hernando doesn't have its own police academy, for your viewers who don't know that. Um, you either go to Pasco or you go to Citrus. So I was teaching up in Citrus, and I was their legal instructor. So for... 10 years almost, I had so many students that when Sheriff Nugent decided he was going to go to Congress, 
he said, my students came to me and said, we want you to run for sheriff. I said, guys, that's a big job. I'm not sure that's something I'm ready for. But they convinced me, and I put in for the appointment to the governor. And it was pretty much me and Mike Maurer. I know you know Mike, chief yes, deputy up absolutely. there. And Mike and I went out for a beer together and talked about it. And we're like, look, whoever gets it, gets it. We're good. So we assumed it was one of us. And then out of nowhere, this guy, Al Nienheis, gets appointed sheriff. And we're like, who's Al Nienheis? And it turns out he's done a great job for Hernando County. And he and I have become fast friends and had Bible study together and everything else. So it's worked out for the best. But after that, when it didn't happen for me, I got a knock on my door one day, and it was Karen Nikolai, who'd been our clerk for 26 years. And Karen came up to talk to me about something completely unrelated. It was the judicial nominating process, and she was on the committee for And she said, hey, how you doing? I know you didn't get the sheriff thing. We started talking, and I'd commented about maybe running for something else, and she said something to the effect of, well, you ever thought about clerk? And I said, Karen, I don't even know what you do. So she said, well, think about it, because I'm not going to be here forever. So sure enough... I went home and thought about it, and about four or five months later, her general counsel retired, and Karen brought me on board and got elected clerk without opposition two times in a row. That's how I ended up here. Kind of a wow. crazy road, huh? Wow. <laughs> well, you don't think things take a change of events, and this is where you wind up. That's a phenomenal, fascinating. Uh, Education-wise, background, tell us what Ooh. Don Barbie your background not traditional either. <laughs> Got bounced around a different college. I started at Fordham in the Bronx, which I know you're familiar yeah, with. Absolutely. And came home and went to Fairfield University and University of Connecticut for a little while and wasn't sure what I was going to do. Tried to join the Navy. So I went into the Navy and then they said, oh, wait a minute, you have a bad knee. You shouldn't have got in in the first place. I was a catcher back in high school. So they said, you tore that knee up pretty good and you need to go home and have surgery. And they told me I could go back. But after I got home, I started flipping through the newspaper, and that's when I saw the ad to be a cop. So I said, oh, you know what? They make pretty good money. I wasn't one of those guys who always wanted to be a cop <laughs> as a kid, but so I decided to go that route. So I, once I joined the police department, I finished up my bachelor's degree at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut in criminal justice and political science. I had a double major. And then I went on. I got, what happened was I started doing investigations. I was 25, 26, too young, frankly. In the police academy, they teach you how to put handcuffs on people and how to use your firearm and defensive tactics, but they don't teach you how to talk to people. And as an investigator, that's the key. So I decided, you know what, I need more education in order to pull this off. So I went and got my master's degree from Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven in sociology, human behavior, which really helped me uh, learn to talk yeah. to people. And then I started law school up there, a school called Quinnipiac, which now is kind of getting famous for their polling. They do a lot of the political polling now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Started up there and came down and finished here at UF. So I have my bachelor's, my master's, and my law degree. Wow. All that, and you're still a young man. The hairline wouldn't give that away, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> what does Don Bobby like to do for fun, if you have time? There's, there's no time for fun, at yeah, least know, right now. No You've got other things going on I'm there's sure we'll no. get into, but... Um, I love to participate in 5Ks, so my family and I will do, we'll go out and do races. I, I finished a half marathon with my daughter over Christmas. We have something in common. You too, huh? Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. We'll have to do one together sometime. Absolutely. I'm, I'm there with you, pal. <laughs> so I love doing those. I'll do some triathlons now and then, which is a lot of fun. I like to read and hang out with my family. and So it's not a ton of time for fun, but when I do have the time, I love to travel when I have that opportunity. So. I hear you're an avid golfer as well. Avid may not be the best adjective, um, sporadic or 
all over the place or something like that, maybe a better description of my golf game, but I love to play when I can. It's, it's a lot of fun to get out there. Well, with all the things that you got going on, do you have any time for the community? Are you involved in the community in any way? That's from somebody that gets paid by taxpayer dollars, right? And I have for most of my adult life. Other than the time I spent in the private law firm, I got paid by your taxpayer dollars. I feel like I have an obligation to give back when I'm in a role like that. So I make sure that I stay very heavily involved in the community. I am a proud member of Kiwanis of the Adventure Coast. I have been the vice president of the Dawn Center, which is our battered women's shelter here in Hernando County. I served on the advisory board of Oak Hill Hospital. I'm currently on the board of directors for Life South, which is our blood bank, community mm -hmm. blood centers. I was the vice commissioner of our youth soccer league that served over a thousand kids out at Anderson Snow. Coached both of my daughters in soccer at the YMCA at that location and in Dixie softball. So I make sure that I stay heavily involved in the community. I'm also a proud graduate of 2010 um, Chamber of Commerce leadership. So best they class say, ever. They said the best class ever. <laughs> That's what I hear. Everybody yes. says the best class ever. Uh, you know what? Anybody says that they don't have time to get out and be involved in the community, I'll just tell them to come speak to you about time management. You need to make time because that's a really important to always give back. Absolutely. And most of, I'm sure most of our viewers agree with you uh, that you know, we make, we're all part of the community and to be involved, that's a good thing. So you probably get a lot of questions about what is it like being an FBI agent? I mean, fascinating. I mean, most of us, uh, we, only, we only know FBI about you know, watching Criminal Minds or other shows. Mm -hmm. Is that anything like that? No, no. Okay. <laughs> it's really not a lot like that. Okay. There's, there's a lot of surveillance time, depending on what you're assigned to. Because remember, the FBI, because they're a federal agency, they have a very distinct jurisdiction. So there's only certain crimes the FBI will investigate. An example I would use is when I was assigned to Boston, if somebody was breaking into a car right outside of the FBI headquarters, I had no jurisdiction to do anything because it's not a federal crime, right? So depends on what you work on. So I started, when I first got to Boston, I was working on insurance fraud cases, which was a lot of numbers and spreadsheets and tracking down doctors that were abusing the Medicare, Medicaid systems, overbilling for different codes, those kinds of things. But I had a particular case that led me into Russian organized crime, which was a fascinating, fascinating area to learn. Uh, the Bureau actually sent me to a program in Las Vegas to learn to speak Russian. Please don't ask me to do it, because I remember like three words. But the, the worst part was they sent me to Vegas to learn Russian during March Madness. That was not a good idea. So, but there was, I don't know if that was the best use of federal tax dollars, but that's where I went to learn a little bit of Russian, mostly so you could listen in on wiretaps, pick up some keywords now and then. You were never going to be ultra-fluent in it from, a, I think it was a two-week course. Um, but that was a fascinating time. A lot of surveillance, a lot of paperwork, as I'm sure they, you know, they don't show that part in any of the police shows, right? So... Um, that, those are the things that they don't show on, the, on TV, but the cases are unreal. I mean, from a professional standpoint, when I walked in the very first day and met my new boss, she said, look, here's your government credit card, here's your machine gun and your handgun, and here's keys to a government car, go make me cases. It wasn't like when you were a cop, all those years I was a police officer, you have a sergeant, a lieutenant, and a captain, and a deputy chief, and all these people watching over you. It was very autonomous, and they said, go be a professional law enforcement officer. You are. You've been trained. Go make me cases. That's a little daunting at first, especially in a new city. Um, but it was, from a professional standpoint, it was unreal. 
and 9-11 being able to have worked on that investigation for eight months straight, give or take. Um, powerful stuff, Absolutely. nothing like I've ever experienced. I mean, just to give you an example, the very first day, I was in the John F. Kennedy Tower, which is the tallest building in Boston, when the event occurred, which is not where the FBI office is. I was on a joint, working on a joint case with the IRS, and that's where their agents were. So we were in that building when the alarms started going off, and they sent a team of us to Logan Airport to shut down the airport because they didn't know what was going on at Correct. the time. So we closed the airport and we worked unbelievable hours. We got to go home and basically shower and take a quick nap and come back to work. And my next assignment, which I'll never forget as long as I live, was I was given a list of addresses. And they said, you need to go interview these, the people at these homes. And what those addresses were, were the people that were called from, remember on the airplanes, they used to have the phones in the back of the seats? Yeah. It, were, it was the phone calls made from one of the planes that hit the tower and basically saying goodbye. And it was an unreal experience. Uh, absolutely. On a lighter side, how do you say park when you're in Boston? I need to know this. I, I see. I'm from Connecticut, where uh, you know Connecticut's like a rectangle with a tail. You cannot have been in Boston if you cannot say park. I I am unable to do that. So, okay, I, so you, you did it perfectly, by I, the way. I know. So. <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> uh, why did you leave the bureau? It was just too hard on my family. It was, um, they, from a professional standpoint, as I said, it was unreal. I mean, the, the, the work, the cases you got to work on was nothing like I'd, I'd ever experience again. But it was incredibly demanding. And it was um, being in Boston after 9-11, we lived about an hour north because it's as close as we could afford a home. Um, and I saw the toll that was taken on my wife and my kids and yeah. said, you know what, this is, it's not about me. And that's, I couldn't leave it, make it about me. And I told my special agent in charge that I was leaving. He said, Don, people don't leave the FBI. And I said, well, I'm not everybody, so. You are unique. So what do you think about all the controversy now in the media about the, the FBI? What is your, you know, what's your opinion on that? It makes me sick to my stomach, frankly. I don't know what the truth is because it's way past. I've been gone now for 13 years. So the 14 years. So the what's happening now is is the opposite of how we were trained. We were told this is not a political organization. We stayed out of anything political. We worked on our cases, and I, all of the agents out there, they're not involved in whatever's going on on TV, and I know that, and I feel bad for them, because they're out there every day, going to work, working their cases, and yet they keep getting splashed in the media with this negative publicity, and I, it, it hurts me. Oh, yeah, I, I think it hurts everything. Um... How was the transformation going from the FBI to the state attorney's office? That was, you know. Well, other than the pay cut, it was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, the, the transition was interesting because I'd been all those years, I had been the witness. I'd been the one on the stand. So now you move over to the prosecutorial role oh, and you have to, you're the one asking the questions and you're the one that has to script it now because that's what a trial is, right? I mean, we've all seen it on TV. A trial is a play. That, and you want it, as the prosecutor, you want it to play out a certain way, and you want the jury to see it from your eyes, from your perspective. So having to be the, the, the one orchestrating the play and sitting up till all hours of the night, making sure that I'm going to put Detective Ritchie on the stand at this time, and then I'm going to put this person on the stand, that was, that was the most difficult part. Because before, as a fact witness in law enforcement, you take the stand, you tell them what happened. Yes. There was no orchestrating involved. You just showed up and said, what's the next question? I'm ready. 
So that, I think that was the most tricky part of the transition. Sounds almost like you have to be almost a show, showman, showmanship. Good, good, tro good trial lawyers are actors. They're, they're showmen is what they're, when they get out there. They, they can get the jury to see things and believe things just like a good actor can. We're also the role, right? So it's, I think it's very similar. The, uh, I understand uh, you also did some teaching over the course of your career and uh, just a little elaborate about that, being oh, a teacher I, I and love. students and teachers. And I think in a perfect world, I would be a high school social studies teacher and coach the baseball team, <laughs> but I could never afford that. So I, I love to teach. I teach, I still, I just finished last semester at Pasco Hernando State College. I've been teaching there for years. Um, Donna Brzezinski, who I know you're familiar with. Is, Dr. Donna Brzezinski, yes, she great had, lady. Yes, great she lady. is. And she gave me multiple opportunities to teach at PHSC when I've, I've enjoyed, enjoyed it immensely. I teach sociology up there to uh, a lot of dual enrollment students and then adults as well that have come back to school. Um, I also teach political science classes, so I get to teach about government and the Constitution and get students involved. One of the things I started doing was the very first night of my government class, I would ask, I have 35 kids in the room, students in the room, and I would say, all right, how many of you voted in the last election? And I was shocked at the tiny percentage of eligible voters that actually were showing up at the polls. So I, was, I started giving extra credit. If we had an election during the election season, they had to bring me their sticker that they voted. Or if we didn't have one, they had to bring me proof that they were a registered voter. Don't care about your party, it has nothing to do with it. It's everything to do with participating in the process. So I absolutely love teaching. I taught at St. Leo, I taught at a couple different online universities, but I like the face-to-face -face interaction. You get to see the light bulb go on when you're talking about the amendments of the Constitution, that's so cool. So I love that stuff. Do you, do you see the, um the majority of the people that want to talk politics, are they voters, in your opinion, or those are the people that maybe do not vote or want to talk politics? You know, I don't know, because I don't know who votes and who doesn't. It's hard to tell. Well, in your class, I mean, they were, they were, they were receptive to politics. Yes. A lot of the dual enrollment students, by the end, were much more intrigued about the process, and I get a lot of positive feedback. What did you like? about your time at the state attorney's office? When we came, I was sent to Brooksville by um, state attorney King in, I'm gonna say 03, I believe. And Pete Magrino and I were sent about the same time. And there was some difficulties in the relationship between law enforcement and the state attorney's office. So Pete and I are both former cops. Pete is still the, what they call the tri-county homicide prosecutor. So he tries all the murders in um, Citrus, Sumter, and Hernando. So when Pete and I got here, the first thing we did was we went to Sheriff Nugent at the time and said, we want to talk to every deputy. And he gave us the opportunity to do that. So they came through a training session with Pete and I, and we rebuilt that relationship. And we spent a lot of time working with the guys and girls and making sure that when we did drop a case or when we had to do a plea bargain to something they might not agree with, they at least understood why. And that made a world of difference to them. It wasn't just getting a letter in the mail that said, oh, we dropped that case you spent all those hours on. Right. It was, hey, we had to plea that out because here was the problem. Or here's something next time you have something like that you might want to work on. So it was really cool that Pete and I could bring the law enforcement perspective to the state attorney's office and use it to help train law enforcement to make better cases. And that was my favorite part and the part that I miss the most to this day was working with the cops because they became my friends. 
Once they're educated on what it takes to prosecute a case, then they can look at it from that perspective to make their job and yours going forward easier so you can get the convictions that are needed to put criminals away. Absolutely. That's how it works. Okay. The, uh, tell us about what, what's a typical day in the clerk of the courts for Hernando County. That's a loaded well, question. Yeah, what do you cover? <laughs> sure, a lot, a lot of, a lot of area. Well, you know, and that, that's since I came to the clerk's office in 2011, I've spent a lot of time going to different community organizations, political parties, et cetera, trying to explain to folks what the clerk does. It may be why I haven't had an opponent for either of my two <laughs> races, or Karen Nicola. I didn't have an opponent for 26 years. So, I think part of it is most people have no idea what the clerk does. There are over a thousand different statutory and constitutional responsibilities allowed in the clerk's office. So as you know, the clerk is one of five elected constitutional officers, right, in Hernando County. We're all independently elected. So you have the sheriff and everybody knows what he does and he has 400 or so people that dress like him that drive around. So then you got the tax collector and what Sally does is write in her name. She collects taxes. And then John Emerson's our property appraiser and he appraises property. And Shirley Anderson is a supervisor of elections and she supervises elections. So all the other constitutionals, it's pretty obvious what they do for a living. Right. Then you get to mine. And the, the exact title of it by statute is Clerk of the Circuit Court and Comptroller. So in, within those thousand different statutory responsibilities, I can kind of group it for you. The largest portion is actually courts. So about 65% of my employees, my team, I have about 115 employees, about 65% of them work on court stuff. So we handle all the paperwork, we handle all of the customer service side of the court system. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether it's divorces, foreclosures, small claims, traffic tickets, you don't get to talk to the judge outside of the courtroom, right? So you're dealing with the clerk's office and my team, which provides that customer service at our Spring Hill and our Brooksville locations. So about 65% do that. And we also handle in the courtroom. So the evidence that comes in, we're responsible for it. Swearing people in, jury duty. So that's a big chunk of the manpower of what we do. Probably the next largest area is my, I am the chief financial officer for the county. So every dollar that is spent of your taxpayer dollars, other than school board stuff, comes through my office. So we have to sign every check, it has my name on it, that goes out the door. So whether you're paving a road or replacing a traffic light or whatever it is, it comes through the clerk's office and we have to approve it. The reason for that is it creates a check and balance in government. So it allows for the county commission can make whatever decision they want. They can say, we're gonna, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna build the San Venero Hotel across from the courthouse and we're gonna use taxpayer dollars to I do that. I love that, I love that. I'm sure that would make you I'm happy. I'm checking in, what do I sign? <laughs> But I would go down at that point and say, no, that's not a legitimate use of taxpayer dollars. And the, the check and balance is there because they can't fire me. I'm elected. So I can tell them, no, I'm not going to pay that bill. I'm not going to write that check. So it, it allows for them to make their, the county commission to make their policy decisions, but for me to be their finance guy, their accountant. So we have an incredible staff of about 20 or so folks led by Amy Gillis, who's been here forever and is a phenomenal job. So Amy and her team, um, will take care of that side of the house, which allows me to sleep at night because I am personally responsible that we use taxpayer dollars that are not for a legitimate government purpose. So that without Amy and her team, I'd have even more trouble sleeping than I already do. Then, go ahead. So I, my question would be, as a citizen of Hernando County, if our county commissioners want to 
do something financially, mm -hmm. uh, would they first check see if there's money available to do something? Yes. So what, what happens is a lot of that happens at the staff level before it would ever get to the commission. Okay. So Len Sossaman and his team would work with my team to make sure that in that particular area do we have enough money or do we need to borrow money maybe. Because I think that's one of uh, everybody's concern that before anything gets done we make sure that both teams know what one's thoughts or five thoughts are going this way that there's money to cover that. Now that, and that's, that's a, a great question. Richie, could, because that came up recently, and you may have read in the newspapers or heard that there was a $14 million deficit and the county had problems. And, and a lot of folks were looking at me saying, how'd you let that happen? And what I had to explain to several people, including people that I thought would know, was that I don't have anything to do with the county budget. That is their responsibility. They have an entire department of professionals that handles the Office of Management and Budget. So if they overspend in an area, I'm gonna tell them they overspent in the area. But planning and how, like where to allocate the money, that's an OMB function, not a clerk function. We handle it on the back end. So that was, I wanted to make sure folks knew that, that don't look at the clerk's office when there's an issue with the budgeting. So we will do the reporting, we will do all the accounting, we will make sure that the appropriate approvals are in place before things get paid. But when it comes to planning and out of what bucket to pay things, that's a county side function, not a clerk side function, so. A lot of people do not know the difference sometimes and you know everything is go back to the clerk you know absolutely and on you what i'm glad you showed our viewers that uh, it has nothing to do with your office if somebody wanted to become a clerk of the court i don't know why but <laughs> how would you go about doing it no idea okay <laughs> honest the, answer there's because the, if you look at there's 60 there's 68 clerks and comptrollers there's 67 counties in the state of florida right but Orange County has a separate comptroller and a separate clerk. So that makes a 68 total of us. And they come from a variety of backgrounds. A lot of people came up through the ranks in the office and just learned as much as they could about a very complicated office and became clerk that way. Others came from CPA backgrounds, attorney backgrounds. Some were former county commissioners. So there's a variety of ways to become clerk. I left a huge chunk out, by the way, on what we do. My official records people who do a phenomenal job for us. That's actually the original intent of the clerk's office. When Andrew Jackson was appointed to be the first territorial governor of the state of Florida, the very first office he created wasn't a sheriff, wasn't a judge, it was a clerk. And the reason he did that was so there was somebody independent to maintain the land records because Florida was a mess with who owned what down here because you had the Indian tribe still and you had Spanish territories. So that was Jackson's point in appointing a clerk was to handle that and we still do that. So if you, whenever you guys buy a house or you record a mortgage, that all comes to my office. So passports, marriage licenses, we do marriage ceremonies. I have chapels at both my Spring Hill and my Brooksville office. So, and that's, that's so much fun because that's a positive thing. Yes. In the clerk's office, so many times we see people that aren't going through the best time in their life divorce, child support, foreclosure, whatever. But when they come to get married in the chapel, that's really cool to get to watch that part. It's, I'm also, yeah, it's almost like the you know, hospitals. You go to the hospital and you go into the pediatric, you see the beautiful babies that are born, that's a good part of the hospital that you want to be in. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And two tiny portions or smaller portions of the office, but no less important. I'm the clerk to the Board of County Commissioners. So if you ever go to a board meeting, you'll look in the back, there's somebody back there taking minutes, receiving evidence, those kinds of things and I'm also the county auditor. 
So if there are any issues that are going on with county funds or operations, we have the power under statute to audit them. So I have a CPA and a certified fraud examiner that work for me that do nothing but audit county functions. Um, right now, the one we're working on is the controlled substances in fire rescue to make sure that there's controls in place so that this really important mission is accomplished effectively. All this, and when you call the, currently the clerk of the court's office, whose idea was it to make it like you're calling someone's house? You, you, make, you make the, you know, people say, I have to get in touch with the county or government office, wherever it may be, whether it's in Andover County, wherever. When you call the clerk of the courts here in Hernando County, it's like calling a family friend and you're not answering the phone. You say, you have reached the clerk of the court and you make it very inviting and engaging for the citizens to go through your the, the telephone and the process, how it goes. What made you, I mean, customer service 101, that was a great thing. If that's your idea, congratulations. If not, you could say it is, and we say congratulations. Was, and I really appreciate you saying that, Richard, because that, that's the goal, is when we opened up the Spring Hill office my second year here, it was to provide better customer service. And we did it without adding any money to our budget. Actually, our budget was cut that year. So we've been able to sustain and improve and continue to improve upon customer service at all levels. That's what we're there for. We're getting paid by the process, by taxpayer dollars, by court fees, to provide services to the public. Once you forget that, then you're in the wrong line of work. And that's what my team and I talk about all the time, is making sure that we see it through their eyes. Because we're dealing so often with folks that aren't going through a good time, they come in for a domestic violence injunction, or whatever's going on in their life, we have to be as empathetic as we possibly can. And so when they leave, I don't ever want, the, the worst thing someone could say to me is, oh, that's typical government office. I don't ever want to hear that. That is not the case with your office right Thank now. You. Like I say, you, you're doing a great job, and, and all your team, and you say it, it's a team, they're very uh, apt to, uh, for, to go and engage the public when you go to your office. Whether I went for my passport personally, other things to your office, everybody has stepped up, and they all do a little bit, which makes the whole experience a lot pleasurable than what you really may think going to a government or agency. So Thank you. Hats off. So they're doing that. their job, and I got oh, an awesome team. So, which leads to the question, why did you decide to leave what sounds like a great job and run for a judge, which sounds very blah? You must have seen those giant red signs. I think I've seen a couple of them. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so then they're worth the money that I spent on them. So I heard you have a very good sign installer. She does wonderful jobs, she, I hear. She, yes, she does. <laughs> that would be my wife, Loretta, oh. who, is, who is sign installer extraordinaire. She has become amazing with post hole digger. So uh, we have 100 of the big signs in the ground now. But to answer your question directly, um, I was appointed three years ago by Governor Scott to be on the Judicial Nominating Commission, which most folks don't have any idea even what that means. It is a group of attorneys that vet people that want to be judges. So when a judge retires, typically somewhere within their six-year term, that creates a vacancy. And the way that's filled is we at the JNC, we receive your application that you want to be a judge, and we go through a, a rigorous vetting process. So I've watched over the last three years 
the judges that we've put on the list, and we, that what happens then after the vetting process is we do an interview, and then we send a list to the governor, and the governor has to pick from that list. So we narrow the field to anywhere from three to six candidates for that judgeship. And I've watched over the years as we've had basically a revolving door here in Hernando County of judges that would get a seat and then leave. And it's because those qualified candidates at the JNC, including me, were voting to send up, were from Lake, were from Marion, and they weren't from here. So as soon as a position opened up, off they would go. So I saw that happening, and then I got word that our current judge, who's doing a phenomenal job, a guy named Pete Brigham, he's doing a great job, was going to leave and go to Citrus County. And I said, I, we need somebody from Hernando to fill that seat so we could have stability in the judiciary here in Hernando. And the applications weren't as high as I'd like to see them, the quality of the candidates. So I said, you know what? I think I can do this. And I think it's something I would get excited about. For those first years, first term as clerk, the first four years, I loved it. I was jumping out of bed in the morning, building the Spring Hill office, doing all these cool things, getting the customer service where I wanted it, having the team together like I wanted it. And then that second term came and I went, wow, this place is running pretty good. And I would come to work and go, all right, what am I going to do today? I'm going to answer traffic calls because I didn't have a ton that was getting me excited. And then this came up and I got excited again. And we talked about my background before. I've been so blessed to have jobs where I wanted to jump out of bed in the morning and go many, many times throughout my career. And I want to have that again. And I think this role as a circuit judge would give that back to me again. And then going back to the vetting process, I think the viewers, including myself, are very, uh, can you share one or two things when you're vetting what you're looking for? Are there, are there questions on a questionnaire that you would ask people that are looking to have their names uh, in that pool uh, once they're vetted to go before the governor for, uh, for, for judgeship? That's a great question. And you know what? Each commissioner that's been appointed to the JNC is probably looking for something a little different. So we're looking for some variety and experience, many of us, because you never know what type of case you're gonna handle when you get on the bench. True. You could be divorces, you could be civil, you could be criminal, so you want, if you can have some diversity, that's awesome. The other thing that I personally look for is I don't want to get someone appointed that's gonna end up with what we call black robe fever, is the minute that the robe goes on, the ego explodes. And the problem for me in that regard is my staff works this close to judges all day long. So if they're going to have this giant ego and start talking down to my staff or treating my staff poorly, that's why I asked to be appointed to the JNC, was to be a filter there to make sure that the men and women that we give robes to are going to go into it as this is an important job. It's not, a, it's not a, uh, an anointment or something to a, to a kingship. This is, it's a job. It's an important job, but it's a job. Absolutely. So that was why I got on. So each, I think each commissioner probably looks for something a little different when they're going through the, the process, which makes it work. Well, that's, that's enormous, enormous. Um, tell us about, a little bit about the makeup of the court system in, in Florida and how the positions you're running for fits in, how everything intertwines. Sure. Uh, so the way Florida is designed, it's different. I know probably a lot of your viewers are from other states where, it's, where it could be set up quite differently. Florida is broken up into 20 judicial circuits. In other states, they're called districts or other things. Here, they're called circuits. 
we all live in the, in, in most of your viewers I would imagine, unless they're down in Pasco, live and work in the fifth judicial circuit. So it's made up of Hernando, Citrus, Sumter, Lake, and Marion counties. It's about 800,000 people and about 5,000 square miles. So it's just about the size of Connecticut. In the Fifth Circuit, you have one elected state attorney, which is Brad King, and then all of the people that work for Brad, is, which is what I used to do. And then you have one elected public defender, a guy named Mike Graves, and then all the people that work for Mike. And you have 31 circuit judges. So when you go to the ballot, you're going to see Fifth Circuit Judge, Group 4. That just means that it's Judge Number 4 out of the 31. People see that and get confused. It doesn't mean anything other than that. It's Judge Number 4 out of the 31. And then where that judge sits is up to the chief judge of the circuit. And there was a recent change in that. When I first got into this race, Group 4, this judge that I was running for, was a, at first a full-time Citrus County judge. And then it became a split judge where it was going to spend three days here in Hernando and two days in Citrus. And just three weeks ago, Chief Judge Robbins, who sits up in Ocala, announced that actually this position is going to sit full-time right here in Brooksville. So it's worked out great that I entered this process. I can be the Brooksville guy in a Brooksville seat, which would uh, add that stability that I was looking for when I first got into this race. So it looks like all the planets are aligning for Don Bobby at well, this point. If enough people show up on August 28th or before, then yes, the planets <laughs> have aligned. Absolutely. Otherwise, I will be unemployed and maybe coming to the Hernando Post looking for a job. Well, I'm sure you can. <laughs> So what has been your biggest challenge so far in the race? We're talking about the race, and the race we're talking about is candidate for Fifth Circuit Judge Group 4. Exactly. That was perfectly done. You like that, Yes, that was good. Biggest challenge is getting people to care. Most folks get down to the judge race. They care about the county commission because they see it on TV. It impacts their lives every day. They care about the school board because we talk about it all the time, right? It's always in the paper. Then you get down to circuit judge. You don't know me. You don't know my opponent. Unless you're an attorney or a police officer, it probably doesn't affect your life much unless you've had a unique experience. So most people will either guess or leave it blank. Getting people not to do that has been the biggest challenge. When I get up on stage at all these stump speeches and things that we do, I try to reiterate that over and over. Do your research. If you think the other guy's more qualified, go for it. But do your research and make an educated decision on who should be this who should hold this very important job. The other big challenge, Richie, is that under the rules as a judicial candidate, I can't talk about anything. So, <laughs> so I, you can talk, but you can't say anything. Right. I can't talk about <laughs> issues. I can't, I, people would say, well, what's your opinion on whatever the social issue of the day is, right? Whether it's school security or immigration or whatever. I'm not allowed to talk about those things. <clears throat> so it makes it very frustrating for the voter who is basically conducting a sterile job interview. They get my resume, my opponent's resume, and they have to make a decision. So there isn't a lot of interaction that's allowed. Last night I was at a meeting in Citrus, and the county commission and the school board candidates all got multiple questions. They asked my opponent, and I won. It was, and that's all they really could ask. And what's your background? Thank you. I, I can, that's all on my website, so there wasn't a whole lot to talk about after that. So those have been the frustrating parts about running for judge. So it's somewhat of a guessing game as far as when you're voting for a judge, uh, if they can't say what, how they would act. It's not like Supreme Court, they're asking you questions, and they're vetting the candidates based upon some of the answers they're going to give during that process. In this case, from 
what I understand, they're not allowed to ask you what's your views on different things. They would have to basically look into your history uh, and kind of guess what type of person you would be in certain cases. That is exactly right. They're and guessing. That's, that's, and it's made it worse because right now they're watching the vetting process of this Supreme Court justice, yeah, which yeah. is all about issues. And they get to me and they're like, well, what, what do you mean? You, the Supreme Court can answer these questions, but you can't? And the answer is no, I can't. That's what judicial canons tell me. <laughs> what type of support have you gotten, received from the community on your candidacy at this point? It's been... Can you say? Oh, yeah, I can say that. That I can answer. Okay. It's been unreal. I've been so blessed to have wonderful support from the community. Um, one of the biggest questions I had, and I think it's kind of a, a tribute to my team, is when I first started going out and visiting with folks, they would say, well, if you're going to be a judge, who's going to run the clerk's office? Because it, you said it, it's running well, and people are happy with the, with the service they receive. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. You know that and, old, and old the, saying? And that's, <laughs> that's been the biggest concern. Uh, so, But, I mean, all of my fellow constitutional officers, except for Shirley, who doesn't get involved in the races, but Sheriff Neenheis has endorsed me, and Sally Daniel, and John Emerson, the local Fraternal Order of Police has endorsed me, the local firefighters have endorsed me. So the statewide Fraternal Order of Police has endorsed me. It's been, it's been very humbling and just off the charts. This makes you feel so, like I must have done something right for all these folks to get behind me and say, we think you're the right guy for the job. You have earned that respect from our community and people who know you from either within Hernando County, on a state level, and on a national level. You're talking multi-state, so that, that, that counts as national level too. So I guess if they work with you and know the man that you are and the integrity that you do carry, that's why you're getting that support. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so how do you plan to wrap up the home stretch for the Don Barbie campaign? Whew. Well, hopefully raise some more money. <laughs> that's the, uh, Loretta and I wrote a, a large check to get this thing started, which has uh, made my hand tremble a little bit. But raising money as a judge is almost impossible it's your friends is that because it, unlike a county commission where you might want to go to them for support on a new project or something nobody does that with judges so and there some people are leery to give judges money at all so that's that's always a tricky part and at this point with 34 days left but who's counting it's out there getting a few yard signs up still um, and spreading word of mouth because it's 800,000 people Hernando County knows me pretty well. We had a politics in the park event out at uh, Nature Coast High School. I heard the, the Greater Hernando County Chamber of Commerce, yes. They, they did, and it very well attended, very impressive. Lindsay Cacciatore, who was, the, I guess, the lead from the chamber that put it together, was awesome. Um, really phenomenal event. They did a straw poll. And Hernando County, I'm doing pretty good. I won with 79% of the vote. So Can you repeat that again? <laughs> That's pretty good. 79%. It was the largest margin of victory in the room. So that was very impressive. But... That's just Hernando. My opponent's from Citrus, and neither of us has name recognition much in Sumter, Lake, or Marion. So that's why it's so expensive, is because the only way to get your name out there costs money, right? Radio ads, newspaper ads. Correct. So it's pretty expensive stuff. So that's the key now. These last 34 days, get out to as many events as I can, get the word of mouth out there, get people to care about the race. How do people get to Check out who Don Barbie is and get involved with the how to, well, we know how to vote for you, 
if they're going to vote for I you. I hope. When are they going to vote, vote for right? you. Yeah. Three ways to vote. Absolutely. You can vote on August 28th, which is the primary day, and my race is over on the primary day. So there is no November. It's me and my opponent on August 28th. It is done that night. You can vote early. Shirley Anderson's open up early voting site the Saturday before. So I don't know the date off the top of my head, but it is the Saturday a week before. So it's open mm -hmm. for a full week. And there's four early voting sites. You can go to Forest Oaks, the Shirley's office. You can go to the Spring Hill Library. You can go to the East Side Library, or you can go to the Community Center um, right outside in Brooksville. So there's those four locations. Or you can still vote by mail. That is a big push. Um, you can order your vote by mail ballot, and as long as it's in their office by primary day, it's just like you showed up at the polls. So any of those methods are possible. For more information on that, they can contact HernandoVotes.com is Shirley's website. So, and she's doing a phenomenal job as as well. Yes, she is with the office. Um, do you have a website or something that people sure. go to? Or it's always on a Facebook page, of course. Just search for Don Barbie for Judge, or the website is Don Barbie the Number Four judge.org and they can go check me out there and tell, talks all about that crazy background stuff we already talked about and shows a list of people in the community that are supporting me and um, I've been very blessed so far so August 23rd that is that is the 28th 28th make it the 23rd vote so you, yeah, you can do it on the 23rd you can vote in the 20, 28th that is the deadline uh, we're gonna make it happen uh, for Don Barbie and the again candidate for the fifth circuit judge group four and looking to see you on a Victory Day, as they say, on the 28th that night. Where are you going to have a, your victory party? Can you I, disclose I, that? I, I think I'm going to be so tired that I'm going to be in my living room because it's, okay. it is a, uh, this running a race of this size has been daunting, to say the least. And every day, another county, lots of miles in the car. And if I wasn't married to a saint, I'd be in a lot of trouble right now. Looking way past as your what what comes what do you even look at past the judgeship i'm not looking at anything past the judgeship okay. this is this is this that's, is it that's it you wouldn't know that looking at my resume but this no, is no i know it. Just, <laughs> might as well keep going no this uh, is it well again we don barbie thank you very much for joining us on on point again uh, i am your host richard sanvenero